Hello, everyone. Great to be here with you guys today. Hello to all of you at West and Traditions, those of you watching online. I am honored to be here with you guys today. My name is Mariana, or Mariana. Many of you know I am from Brazil. Maybe you don't know that. That's new information. So I was born and raised in Brazil, spoke Portuguese my whole life. That's why I talk like this, have a little accent. And when I was in college, I took a gap year and I came to study in a ministry school here in America. That was the first time that I lived here. And during that time, I met this man named Daniel Wakefield, who later became my husband. But at the time, we were friends. I went back to Brazil, finished college, all that stuff. And our friendship became romance. And we got married. And I've been living here for 12 years now. I tell you that because coming from another country makes me very aware of cultures. I don't know if you guys have been to other countries or maybe even within the U.S. when you go to other states and you notice that people live differently. They have different habits and they talk differently. They eat different foods. There's a whole set of different way of living depending on where you go. And when I moved here, one of the things that really impacted me was how you Americans are very on time. That was not necessarily my strength. And in Brazil, the time is kind of a suggestion. It's not that particular minute, you know, and even not just informal things like meeting up with a friend, but even going to a doctor's appointment, you know, if the appointment was at 10 o'clock, I would probably get there at 1030 and, you know, he would see me at 1045 or 11. So, you know, it's very, very flexible. And when I moved here and I went to my first doctor's appointment, my husband kindly coached me when I was about 10 minutes late. He said, you should probably call. And I'm thinking, call for what reason? And to let them know you're running a little bit late. And then when those 10 minutes actually turned into 15 minutes, I had to reschedule my appointment. I was so shocked. That was not at all my culture. And it's just these unspoken things, right? Nobody ever taught you. That's just how you grow up. That's how you do things. Or another funny thing is the personal space, right? There's the invisible circle around yourself that nobody should come inside. I didn't know of such circle. We're very close together in Brazil, so I had to be very careful with how, how close I would get to people. And finally, I want to mention the pizza eating, okay? Because in Brazil, we eat pizza with fork and knife. It's like a steak. You cut and you eat it and here you just grab it with your fingers and I thought that was very interesting it's practical it's practical that's a good thing <laughs> but now after living here for 12 years what has happened to me? If you invite me over, I will actually probably arrive on time. I will respect your circle and I'll eat pizza with my hands because that's what happens when you're immersed in a culture. You learn and you change. So you may be thinking, okay, great talking about culture, but I don't relate at all. I'm here to tell you today that we do have that in common. The Bible says that we are all foreigners. 
Hebrews 11, when it talks about the heroes of faith, it describes them as people who knew they were, for, they admitted they were foreigners on this earth. If you're a follower of Jesus, your citizenship is in heaven. We are just passing through this earth. We're not citizens of here. So you are a foreigner as much as I am. And so today we are in the book of Ruth chapter two. We're in the middle of our stubborn love series. And so when I was reading this chapter, uh, Ruth chapter two, and just uh, meditating on it, that is what I noticed in this chapter, that these people were living a different culture. Of course, there's the, the, the Hebrew culture, but that's not what I'm talking about, but just their attitudes, their heart. They were modeling something here that I believe to be this culture of heaven, the one that we should embrace, the one where we are all from. This is our culture that we're going to see here today. So I invite you to open your Bibles or Bible app on Ruth chapter 2. And at this point, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, they were widows and they have moved to Israel. Ruth has uh, vowed to the God of Israel, our God, and to serve Naomi faithfully. And last week we learned that Ruth went to Boaz's field to try to collect some food because they were poor. They needed food. So she went there and this is where we left off. So let, let's start in verse eight so we can recap a little bit what happened last week. It's going to be a little long, but just, just so we can get the big picture. Okay. All right. So eight through 13. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field here where the, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. So we're going to go point by point here of what Boaz is doing to Ruth. But first, I want to remind you of this big picture. Okay, she, uh, Ruth is poor. She's a widow. She's a beggar in the field. She's not even a servant of Boaz. She is collecting behind his servants. And Boaz is 
the owner. He is wealthy. He is he owns the field and he's in a position that the law actually required him to give part of his harvest to the poor as we learned last week. But what he's doing here is way beyond what the law required. The law did not require him to be so kind and or to show such honor to Ruth. We see this favor. There's something deeper going on here. He values Ruth. He honors Ruth in the way he's treating her. So what is honor? You may be asking yourself. We just recently finished a sermon series on shame. When we're studying shame, we learned that uh, when you're shaming somebody, you're stealing their worth. You steal, you rob their value. It's like they're not good enough. You place them in a, in a position of inferiority. Now, when you honor someone, you're doing exactly the opposite. You recognize their worth. You declare their value and you lift them up. Isn't this a beautiful picture? It's like, I'm not threatened by you. I see what God is doing in your life. You carry something unique and I treasure that. I acknowledge that. I elevate and empower you because I think it's beautiful who God created you to be. And instead of squishing you down, I lift you up. And this is the culture of heaven. What is happening in heaven right now? Does anybody know? The 24 elders are taking off their crowns and placing them before Jesus. The culture of heaven is one where we take off our crowns and we honor others in humility. Here in the world, we grab hold tight on our crowns. We want to exhibit them. But the culture of heaven, we take our crowns off. Now you may be thinking, is that humiliating yourself? Am I then putting myself down? No. We, uh, you honor, you can only honor somebody else out of a place of wholeheartedness. Before I recognize your worth, I have to remind myself of my worth. I have to know my identity so I can see your identity and value it. Do you see the difference? So there's this, there's this tension between you, you, you can't be prideful and put yourself higher, but also you're not, um, putting yourself lower, right? And being insecure about who you are. I love this, you guys. This is amazing. What if all of us could be in this place where we know we're confident, we're confident of who God created you to be. So you can look to your brother and sister, your friends, your family members and empower them in who God created them to be. This is the culture of honor. This is what we're looking at today. This is what both is doing to Ruth. I have a mission that you don't. You have a mission that I don't. You carry something that I don't. You carry something that the person next to you doesn't. We're all unique. God wasn't bored when he created each of us. He created you with a plan. And I see the hand of God in your life and I treasure it. That is honor. I am valuing you and declaring your worth. So Romans 12.10 says, uh, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another. Honor one another above yourselves. 
the message paraphrase says, practice playing second fiddle. I think that's cool. Another translation says, outdo one another in showing honor. What would life be like if we all would live that way? So Boaz, he wasn't prideful in the field and he sees Ruth and he recognizes her value without stumbling on what she is not, okay? Honor is recognizing who a person is without stumbling on who they are not. And I feel like that happens a lot in our close relationships because as we get to know people, we start being so much more focused on what they're not or their failures and what we wish they were and we don't honor and value who God created them to be. Now we'll see that Boaz will take a sequence of actions that incredibly blesses Ruth, but it all starts by the way he sees her. So the first, first point today is that we honor with our thoughts. Boaz wasn't a buddy, a neighbor. He wasn't a friend. He was the owner of the field. And yet he sees Ruth with such honor. In verse uh, 10 and 13, we see Ruth saying that she found favor in his eyes. What does it mean to find favor in his eyes? So when he looks at her, he didn't see her through these lenses of the world, okay? Because the world would look at her and see a widow, a poor person, a foreigner, somebody that is working in the fields all day. She was probably dirty, sweaty, but that's not at all what Boaz sees when he looks at her. When he looks at her, he sees a woman who has sacrificed over and over. He sees a woman who has given up so much to serve her mother-in-law. He sees a woman who is faithful to the Lord of Israel, who wasn't even her God to begin with. She converted to him. He sees the beauty of who she is and what she's doing. And he declares that that value beginning in his thoughts. Now, I really do love this topic of thoughts because I believe that that is the beginning of everything. And when I was studying this, God reminded me of the scripture in Isaiah 55 when it says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Because I was praying, God, I want to have thoughts like yours. Give me your mind, Jesus. I want to have a, um, a mind like Christ. And when I was thinking about this scripture that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, I always thought that this meant he's wiser, right? His thoughts, his thoughts are higher, so it's bigger. But the word higher doesn't speak of amount. It's not about quantity. It's not the amount of wisdom we're talking about. Higher speaks of positioning. His thoughts are higher. They are above. So when we see the difference in how God operates, it's because his thoughts are coming through a different atmosphere, a different perspective. And that's how, and that's why he perceives things so differently than we do. And you guys, I really feel like for us, most things in our journey while here on earth, we can address that simply by transforming our thoughts and the way we think. No wonder the scripture also says that we may be renewed, but by the renewing of our minds, that is a big, a big important piece of our Christian journey. And so uh, Boaz got that. He's awesome. He looks at Ruth 
and he sees the way God sees her. There's this quote that I really like. It says, watch your thoughts for they become words. Watch your words for they become actions. Watch your actions for they become habits. Watch your habits for they become character. This really makes the point. Once we transform our thoughts, everything else will come. And transformed minds will transform people. And transformed people will transform the culture. So if we want to embrace this culture of honor, we must transform our minds and start seeing people the way God sees them. The second point that we see honor in this text, and it really follows um, along with this quote, is we honor with our words. So our thoughts become words. And so Boaz, we read, we read just then in verse 11 that he starts telling Ruth, right, all that she has done. I have seen what you have done. You left your father and mother and you're serving your mother-in-law faithfully when you guys both lost your husbands. This is amazing. And he is affirming what she has done. Isn't it incredible how we can use our words to honor people around us and say, I see See what you're doing and it's amazing. I saw what you did and you affirm that person's decisions, the person's sacrifices and Boaz is doing this to Ruth. Not only that, in verse 12, he says, uh, may the Lord repay you. May you be richly rewarded. He blesses her. Our words, his words were words of blessing. And I love her response too, because then in verse 13, she says, you have put me at ease. When we honor people with our words, those words can put someone at ease. The, the original uh, word here means she took a breath of fresh air. She went, oh, everything is going to be okay. Isn't that a great feeling after such tragedy that she was going through? All the struggles, all the pain, the mourning, the losses, she finally encounters this man that speaks words that encourages her, soothes her soul, melts her anxiety away, and fills her with peace. I don't know about you, but I want my words to be like that. This is amazing. This is what God's words are like. When God speaks, his words are words of life. He spoke and the world was created. When he speaks to you, something comes alive inside of you. He activates something in you. God's words have the power to bring life. And if his spirit is inside of me, I want my words to bring life as well and be a blessing and lift up and honor those around around me. The third thing that we see in this passage, another way that we can honor others is we honor with our actions. After his thoughts, after his words, we see Boaz honoring Ruth with his actions. So let's read verse uh, 14 through 17 now. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate 
all she wanted and had some leftover. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks from her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley and she, she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. So let's see uh, all these actions that uh, Boaz is doing here. The first thing we see is that he provides her refreshments, uh, the bread and the wine vinegar. I thought that was kind of funny, but I found out that turns out to be a very refreshing dipping. It was pretty popular there. They were working in the sun, in the fields. It was hot. And he provided that refreshing dipping for her. Uh, to eat after days of work. And actually before uh, we read in that first portion in verse nine, that he also offers her water to drink, which was also unusual and, and beyond what the law required because the water was just for the workers. And he said, it's okay, Ruth, come here, have some water. He's taking care of her. He's like, you're worthy of this. You deserve this. And he gives her that refreshment. Then we see that he actually promoted her her to something higher because it says she came and sat down with the harvesters. Again, like I told you, she wasn't part of his workers. She was the poor beggar behind the workers. So when he invites her in, it's like he's inviting her into the VIP room. You know, this is the, this is the special lounge where the workers will have their break and their snack. And he's like, come here, Ruth, come join us. Come join us. Here's a special place for you. So honoring isn't just treating according to what you deserve. It's going a notch, a, a little bit more. Here, come to this place that you shouldn't even be in, but it's okay. You deserve it. He opens the door and he includes her. She's set with the harvesters. She's set at the special table. And he gives her more food than she could eat. It's funny that this verse fell right this week after Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> I feel like many of us could relate to this. It was that feast. It was a lot of food. These guys were working in the fields. They were tired. They must be starving. So if they ate, if she ate all that she wanted, and there were still leftovers, that speaks of the amount of food that it was on that table. Boaz wasn't cheap. Boaz wasn't giving them just a little cracker. He operated in abundance and he shows that honor when he serves his servant. Isn't this incredible? Isn't this what I'm talking about? I talked about the culture of heaven taking off your crowns. You're my servant, but I'm going to serve you. It's like Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's like you're not looking at what the world determines of who is above who. I want to serve you. I value you. He gives abundantly. And then he offers her extra favor in her gleaning, which also reveals his generosity. Like I said, the law required that he would give to the poor, but here what he does here 
in offering all the extra grains and he gives orders and tell his workers, don't rebuke her, just let her take the stuff that is above and beyond. I am very convicted about this, you guys. I have to confess this to you because I'm the kind of person, I don't know if you're this way like me. I want to know what's expected of me, okay? So this is what's expected of me and I wanna make sure to do that. Now, that's because I don't wanna do less, but that also causes me to a lot of times not do more. Do you see what happens here? Jesus broke this thing of the law. This is what you do and you walk in this line. It's about the heart. It's the heart attitude. Boaz could have, could have been easily just, okay, this is what the law requires me to give. I'm giving that, good, I'm safe, right? Did what I'm expected to do. But that's not what he does. He goes beyond. He, that shows that he truly cared about those people. He looks at Ruth and he cares about her. He's probably thinking, I don't even care what the law says. I want to make sure she's okay. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times I confess I can be very legalistic, but this example inspires me. Oh, it's an inspirational honor, inspirational generosity. This is incredible how Boaz gives Ruth dignity. Now let's take a quick look about Ruth in her, her journey in this story, okay? What we see Ruth doing, look in verse 13, she says, um, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. She was aware of her position and he, she walked in humility. Nowhere you're gonna find her saying, it's about time. Look at all I've done up until this point, the previous chapter. Did anybody read the previous chapter, all that I did? Finally, somebody's doing something good to me. She doesn't say that. She doesn't have an attitude of entitlement. She humbly, humbly receives the blessings and instead she puts her face on the ground and says, why have I found such favor? Proverbs 18 says that humility comes before honor. And I think that's why all of these things are happening to Ruth. Humility comes before honor. We see Ruth, we saw Boaz's actions of honor and we see Ruth walking in humility. That's the perfect marriage. Uh, and Ruth also honors the gifts that she's been given. In verse 17, it says that Ruth gleaned until evening. That was hard work. That was hard work in the field. And after she was given so much, I don't know if it's me, could have said, okay, that's kind of enough. I'm going to go home, cut the day short, right? She kept working hard. When she moved to Israel, we see that she put her trust in God. There was an expectation that God was going to provide for her, but she didn't just sit at home. She didn't just sit and waited for God to do something about it. The whole time she was 
going for it. She worked hard. She wasn't lazy. And God does provide as Ruth moves alongside with God, which is such a cool picture. And she's faithful to Naomi until the end of the harvest. So let's read the rest of the chapter here. When Ruth comes back home with all that food, all the abundance, and she tells Naomi uh, what happened that day. Let's read verse 18. She carried it back to town. Her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, I will be good. It will be good for you, my daughter. It will be good for you to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth comes home right after all these amazing things had happened to her. And she says, Naomi, you won't believe what happened today. Look at what all Boaz did to me. And it's kind of cool too, because spoiler alert, the next chapter, they get married. So it's kind of cool to see this little hints of romance going on here. It's like this this man, who is this man? He's awesome. And Naomi mentions to her here that he is one of their guardian redeemers, which we're going to unpack this more in the weeks to come. But this means that Boaz really could potentially marry Ruth. However, that wasn't guaranteed yet because there was another guy in line. But again, that's for next chapter. But there's this potential here, right? And so all is good, great news. Naomi's hope was restored. She's finally, you know, oh, God is actually good again because Naomi was so bitter last chapter and now she sees the hand of God blessing them. And then she says, Ruth, I have an idea. It's good that you go back there tomorrow. When I was reading this chapter, I went, wait, what? She had a brilliant idea to tell Ruth to keep going there. Isn't that a given? Isn't that obvious? Of course she should be. She should keep going there. Where else should she go? Boaz being fabulous. Why would she go anywhere else? And we see here she mentioned that there's this guardian redeemer thing. So, you know, again, there was no obligation yet to Boaz. But Naomi's thinking, okay, maybe, maybe there's something here. But, you know, I... I just got intrigued by that verse. And so I was praying and praying and, and just thinking, God, why did Naomi tell Ruth that it was a good idea to go there? And here's what I thought. We focus so much on Naomi's suffering. Naomi was mourning. Naomi was bitter. But Ruth, she also lost her husband. She had left her nation. She sacrificed 
everything she had. Ruth probably was also in a place of struggle, of pain, of hurt. And we had seen uh, Ruth supporting Naomi when Naomi was struggling. And suddenly we see Naomi supporting Ruth and saying, Ruth, as you continue to journey, you're healing. I know I'm speculating this dialogue here, but, but bear with me. Naomi says to Ruth, you're still healing. You're still finding freedom. But as you do that, it's good that you continue to move forward to what God has for you. And aside from the pain, aside from anything, I love thinking how Naomi, she's encouraging Ruth to move toward what God had for her. Because you know why? Ruth went to the field. All that she was hoping was to gather some food. She just wanted to get something to eat by the end of the day for her and Naomi. But God's dreams are so much bigger than our hopes. God's dreams for Ruth were so much greater than what she had hoped for. God had something still for Ruth and Naomi sees the fingerprints of God when she hears that Boaz was the place where Ruth went. And you guys, this just excites me so much because I can speak for myself. There are times when you're in the middle of a season that you're struggling, you look ahead and you can't see what is up, what God is doing, what's going to happen. When you experience that fog like these two have experienced, when they moved back to Israel, they had no idea what was going to happen. And then suddenly you start seeing the fingerprints of God. God did not forget us. He's in the action. He has something. There's something here, Ruth. It is good that you go to Boaz's field. God has something for us. And in our relationships, we can be this person that plants hope, that speaks hope and speaks uh, encouragement that, yes, God has something. Go and do it. That you can be a balloon or an anchor, right? In our relationships, you can move people up or you can drag them down. And we see Naomi doing this to Ruth. She is encouraging her forward into what God was dreaming for them. This is amazing. Oh, I love this so much. So this is the end of the chapter. We have seen Naomi honoring Ruth, Ruth honoring Naomi, Boaz honoring Ruth. Everybody's honoring each other. But above it all, we see God, God himself honoring Ruth. My last point is God honors us. All of these things that we have learned about Ruth, everything that she has done, nothing goes unnoticed. The things that you are doing, it does not go unnoticed. God, the God of the universe looks at Ruth 
And he's amazed by what she's doing, by her sacrifices. And he says, I honor that. I see what you're doing, Ruth, and I honor that. And all of this that has been providing to her, we see God's faithfulness in Ruth's story. First Samuel, in 1 Samuel 2, uh, God says, I will honor those who honor me. And Ruth honored God and he's honoring her back. I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of hope. Ruth was walking in humility, and I also feel like that is the fulfillment of the prophecy, the promise, excuse me, of James 4, where it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Ruth humbled herself and God lifted her up. That's how God operates. He is faithful. We'll, we see we see this principle of honor. If we can honor, it's because God honors first. We can't create anything new. Anything that we do is because God does, does that first. So I told you that when I moved here, I started learning about the American culture. And the reason why I learned the culture was because I was living here. I was immersed in this culture and that's why I started kind of doing what everybody else is doing. Now, if we want to embrace this culture of honor, we need to immerse ourselves into the presence of God because that's, that's how he operates. That's his territory. And in coming into his presence, because of our relationship with Jesus, when we cultivate, when we spend time with Jesus, we cultivate in us the heart of our father. And I love that at the side of the cross, we have access to the heart of the father at all to begin with. But not only we have access, we can cultivate his heart in us. And when we cultivate his heart in us, we can have transformed minds and have thoughts like his thoughts. And we can have transformed words so we can honor with our words and bless others with our words. And we can have actions of honor so we can honor others the way God honors us. We honor because God honors. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I am amazed by your love, by your heart for us. I'm amazed by the way you honor us, amazed by the way you honor Ruth. And you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we see, when we see what you do in your word, we know, God, that's the revelation of your heart toward us as well. We want to embrace this culture, Jesus. We want to be more like you and operate in this culture. Show us right now, Holy Spirit, people that we need to honor more or honor better. Would you bring to our minds right now Maybe people or maybe ways, maybe things that you have been speaking to us and how we can step further into this culture of honor. Father, we want to honor this person you're putting in our hearts right now.
We want to cause a lifelong impact in people around us. We want to speak words that are words of life, words that are words of blessing, words that honor others. We want our minds to be transformed. We want to think like you think. We want to honor people beginning in our minds. Father, help us to continue to choose, to choose to embrace this lifestyle and these values that are values from heaven. I bless my brothers and sisters here in the name of Jesus. Amen.